Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. This series is brought to you by PIMCO, one of the world's leading fixed income managers. For 50 years, PIMCO has been dedicated to helping millions of investors pursue their objectives regardless of shifting market conditions. At PIMCO, ESG investing is an essential part of their commitment to delivering on their clients' objectives, while at the same time supporting long-term sustainable economic growth globally. Hello and welcome back to the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack and today we are part three of a five-part series on ESG investing. Uh, in particular today, we're really deep diving into some of the, the, the social change, the impact style of investing that's available uh, both to you and your clients, uh, things that you can have conversations about. And we've got some really interesting conversations coming up uh, around that side of it and some, some great tips that you can then take forth to have conversations with your clients about. Welcome back, Nathan Fradley. Thank you. Thank you for coming along and being part of the series. Now, in this particular episode, we are talking about impact, impact investing more, more specifically. What does that mean to you? I think there's a variety of approaches in, in this particular space. So when I talk to my clients, we I talk a little bit about the individual beneficiary and the greater beneficiary. Um, now, depending on the, the, the nuance of the conversation, the client would depend on the language I use because that can be quite a technical term. But when we look at any investment uh, and we, we link it back to a goal, an outcome, retirement, saving for kids, education, um, that's the individual beneficiary. That's their benefit from the, the investment. The greater beneficiary is something broader than themselves. It's the societal benefit. So people who tend to donate to charities more have a, a better bias towards this already. Um, but I think talking about that and saying, you know, I mean, the, the question of if you could get the same return and and have a greater impact on the planet, would you? Um, I don't think anyone ever says no. But the question becomes if you had a lesser return or paid a higher fee to get a greater impact. And, and that's where the impact comes in as a range between an implied impact, which is by not investing in this or by investing in companies better at that versus investing in an index or a standard product, you've improved things this much. You've invested more into companies doing greater things. You've reduced your um, reduced your carbon emissions and carbon footprint, and and that that is an impact in itself. You know, within the the ethos software, we measure that in terms of tangible things like fish and fish saved and 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 cars taken off the road, and so that is a tangible impact. Just shifting from a, a standard index product to an index product that excludes fossil fuels will give you a sense of impact, and it's something that a client, at the end of the day, when it comes to ethical investing, that's what they care most about. Creating the tangibility around that impact is the same as creating the tangibility around the outcome of their goal. You will get to retirement or you will get to retirement and substantially reduce your carbon emissions by this much. The equivalent of taking this many cars off the road. Oh, well, that's fantastic. You've got to make it tangible because just saying this is more ethical doesn't doesn't help anyone. And then from there, the next tier up is the kind of funds that invest directly into solutions. 
which is interesting because a lot of these tend to have companies that are higher in emissions and higher in, in these sorts of things because they might invest with fossil fuel companies that are transitioning into renewable. Um, so they they have the old assets, but they are moving um, or they are you know old mining companies that are transitioning. Um, but whenever people think impact and they think greater beneficiary and they think um, you know focusing on solutions, they think environment straight away. They go straight to climate change. They look at they picture giant wind farms. Um, a lot of impact portfolios have very small um, energy generation components, and they focus on. I mean, something as simple as um, you know, gender inclusiveness, as opposed to um, you know, as opposed to uh, a poor poor contracts within hiring practices, um, or gender identity, as opposed to gender inclusiveness. Sort of taking a step further, that's a social issue. Um, that within a board, within a hiring practice can create huge impact. Um, so I think, you know, there's that, there's things like safety and, um, you know, I suppose those kind of areas, things like um, um, I know Pengana Web has that kind of approach where they focus on the broad range of those things. Then you've got, um, I suppose, another tier above that where there's funds, and particularly we're starting to see this in the green bond market, where the bond or the, the loan explicitly directs money to a cause. So there's one um, bond fund at the moment that um, has a, a um, green bond in Melbourne or lends money to a Melbourne um, a homeless facility for women between 55 and 65, which is the fastest growing homeless demographic in Australia um, due to a range of social factors. And by giving them a place that they can be safe, that they can be feel included, that they can get back on their feet, um, that they can have social interaction. Um, that's amazing. It's a huge impact and also extremely important to uh, particularly my demographic who are in that age bracket. You know, so it's I could that could be me. So that's a kind of a more direct one. Um, and then you've got you're gonna come moving more up into philanthropic stuff where some of the investments out there, some of the agricultural stuff or or some of the good credit funds may have unashamedly less performance uh, but a greater impact um, and I think there, that is kind of a spectrum between implied impact and direct impact and then willing to to take a hit on performance I think at the top end of that impact scale you tend to lose a bit of your own money but you get a greater sense of of so, social benefit and I think clients who are comfortable in their retirement who aren't worried about not having enough money they have a little bit extra or they've got enough to wind back their risk profiles, might choose a more philanthropic impact approach um, because there's more to wealth than just money. And I think people really feel alignment to that. Oh, well, absolutely. Well put. So, and uh, and great questioning too with regards to if you could, you know, you can keep the same, have the same returns, spend the same and still have impact, would you, of course. Uh, but then what, um, what are you prepared to give up? You know, how much more are you prepared to pay or how much less are you prepared to give when you ask those questions of people, what, what do they say? A lot of the time, I don't want to lose performance, like most of the time. The same performance, absolutely. Higher fee, absolutely. But I don't want to lose performance, which is really funny because they're willing to pay a higher fee, which would detract from performance, but they don't want to lose performance. So, or detract from net performance. So, I think that's that's an interesting insight into the, the mind of, a, of an everyday investor. Um, but, but, you know, we do get situations where some of the, my wealthier clients are happy to, um, providing their goals are being met, you know, yeah, we've got our retirement lockdown. 
we are happy to take a, a lesser outcome. And then, you know, I've worked with some advisors and done some coaching with some advisors that are in the high net worth space and, and the, the, the clients have substantial amounts of money that they really want to see change and they're willing to take larger hits from the, on their performance. It's like cash plus kind of mindsets because to them, they're, they're responsible, they're custodials to, or, you know, they've got a custodianship to, to the planet or to a particular group of people they feel an affinity towards and they want to see outcomes. Um, so they, that's sort of another level again that I think we're going to see the rise of the everyday um, philanthropic action in a lot more in that higher net worth space. Yeah, and this, this almost um, plays into a conversation that you could have to them around uh, you know, leadership or status even in their community. I think wealth used to be defined as – it's like the transition of a, of a modern society. It used to be defined as nice cars and fancy things, um, but I think it's transitioning into you know, electric vehicles, organic grass-fed um, corn – I don't know, just you know things like where the the sustainability becomes the competitiveness of a sign of wealth. You know, I'm doing more for the planet. I donate to here. I'm helping out here. I think we're going to see some of that. I think that's the natural transition away from materialism, um, particularly with higher educated people um, of all of all political affiliations. I think the people who tend to have a higher IQ will see that as either. Um, a good outcome for themselves or a good status symbols themselves, depending on their motives. Um, but EQ, those people have always been, have been interested in, in this kind of thing. Wonderful. Thanks, Nathan, uh, for chatting to us about impact. We look forward to catching you in the next episode when we touch on climate change. Thank you for joining us again, Karen. Good morning. Lovely to be here. Wonderful to have you. Now, we're talking about uh, social change and impact and, and different opportunities for impact investing and conversations to have with your client. Uh, what are you saying to your clients about the space and what conversations are you having with them? I think uh, clients really understand impact investing to be, you know, your cake and eat it too is the way I would describe it. Um, so it's having, you know, all the beautiful returns we would expect um, for the clients that we deal with anyway. Look, they really are looking for market um, returns or better. And then that additionality of having positive and measurably um, articulated change through what they're invested in. So an example of that would be, um, and a lot of the funds are really quite good at articulating their impact um, at the moment, but the equities funds in particular. Um, but certainly we're also seeing that the bond funds that are investing in the green and the social bonds or even the sustainable bonds, which is sort of that combination of a project that might have green and social benefits are really good at articulating exactly how the money um, your clients have invested has actually been put to real world outcomes. An example of that I was going to raise is that one of the global bond funds we use, you know, 94% of their bonds are in impact bonds. So they're focused on really, and this is things, you know, you can share with your clients, which clients love to read about. We put this in our recent newsletter to clients and we explained that thematically the top three sectors in terms of environmental um, focus for this fund were infrastructure, energy and water-related outcomes. Um, and, in, and in fact, they were able to, you know, get an investment in the African Development Bank, fight COVID-19 bond. And what that bond has done, it was issued by the World Development Bank. 
you know, they've actually used that money to basically support companies that are manufacturing essential supplies, including reducing your test result timeframes from 36 hours to a week. So protecting basically livelihoods and 6,000 businesses Um, and all of that with a really strong credit rating. So I think clients are really interested in how they can be a part of a solution like that and still receive a commensurate return. Yeah, I love I love the phrase "heavy cake and eat it too." It certainly um, it certainly sums it up for for clients um, when you when you mention that, and then you, then you can chunk down obviously into the specifics of it. Mm-hmm. Is it very hard to find these things? You mentioned that um, you know there's there's some some you know some funds have high levels of it, but how do you find them and how do you go about uh, researching them? Yes, yeah, certainly. So there are. You know, I, I think that the the bond funds that are available in the country, for the most part, um, are actually uh, not as greenwashed as the equities, perhaps. So I think you'll have some success there if you you do your due diligence and have a look at the underlying holdings. You know, what you're really looking for there is good quality issuers um, that have obviously got complete um, that have got certification on that they are green bonds, they are social bonds. And they're disclosing to you, obviously, how the funds are being put to use. Um, there's also um, domestically, obviously at home here, we also have some green and sustainability bonds that have been issued to market. So you can either purchase those directly through a fixed income broker for clients, or um, which we were doing many years ago before these sort of bond funds were issued. But an easier way um, might be just to have a look at some of the, um, the bond funds themselves and within those, um, and there are there's like a handful of them domestically, um, but you'll find that, you know, clients are invested in some really interesting social and sustainable um, bonds with names that they're familiar with. And I think that's what makes clients, you know, it makes it relatable for them. So if they know, for example, uh, the Queensland Treasury has issued a green bond that went to finance, for example, this is in my home state, um, you know, the Gold Coast Light Rail Stage 2 and also a solar farm at the Sunshine Coast and Brisbane Bikeways extensions, that's something that they can understand. So um, there's many examples of that where you can sort of pull out examples of bonds within these portfolios that your clients are invested in. Yeah, yeah, incredible. And again, it goes back to those values of understanding and, and knowing why they're invested in something. When it comes to the conversations with you having with your clients, are, are they are they more towards this? Is it something that you're with with the, towards? Because it's sort of to me, it's not something that you say or you want to try and stay away from something. Or it could be with you know small communities and human rights, but it feels like it's a more of a feel good type of uh, an environment where you're promoting it or you're not promoting it, but you're talking about it in a positive way. I think you could just raise it from the point that, you know, did you know that the bond market is you know X times as big as the equities market and you know, the fastest growing issuance on those markets at the moment is green and social bonds. And the reason is because, you know, corporates and local governments and state governments realise that they need to be part of basically funding the transition to low carbon. So, with we're relying on, you know, external parties, that's your capital, to basically deliver the technologies and solutions to get us to where we need to be. So this is this now exists and you can invest in this. Yeah. So clients will just not be aware. Um, and when they know that their own home state, and this is across all states, have issued green bonds, I think that that gives them comfort in understanding and why 
you know, why have they issued green bonds? Because they realise that there are projects that the state needs to deliver that they can't fund themselves. They can issue it at a fair price and receive external investment to fund that inf- that infrastructure project. Yeah, wonderful. Karen, thanks so much for coming on and chatting to us in this episode. We look forward to catching you very soon in the next one. Thanks, Fraser. David Graham, welcome back to the conversation. Thank you once again. We are talking about uh, the impact or impact investing in social change, something that's I feel like it's a fairly uh, new area of the ESG. The, the, the S and ESG is sort of a more of a, a newer area. Governance has always been there for quite some time. We've, we, we're used to this now. Um, and uh, the environment's certainly been a, a topic of conversation, but the social sort of missed out a little bit and sort of is, is lagging behind a little bit. Yeah, it certainly has. Um, to your point, governance, um, I think, has always been um, a, a must-have. Uh, and when we're talking about quality investing, quality stocks and that sort of stuff, governance is a given. So I'm, I'm not sure why that was ever controversial or why um, you know it actually formed part of the conversation. Um, uh, you know, we've avoided things like, um, you know, um, I don't say Crown Casino or uh, pe- people who, who, you know, you kind of think, well, can I say dodgy? I don't really want to offend anybody who gets sued, but you, you know what I mean. It, it, it's about, you know, the smell of something sometimes. You think, well, okay, I really don't want to get my client's money in that. And where, where it's a fund manager, we've had conversations with fund managers to, um, you know, express that view. So governance, yeah, has always stood as um you know, must have what what else you got. Uh, environmental, yes, very very topical at the moment, and um, getting getting a lot of air. I mean, I think uh, one of the ETF providers um, opened a climate change fund recently, and uh, so it, it's all very very popular and very and very, very sexy. Um, the social part is a lot more difficult. Um, so. You know, when we're looking at a portfolio, one of our overlays is the um, UN SDGs. Um, so clearly, there's some, there's some capacity in that to um, uh, look at the social goals as well. Um, running running our filters through that, um, we tend to see that's still lagging a little bit in a lot of fund managers. But um, uh, there are fund managers out there who. Uh, further along the uh, ESG spectrum and are looking to have specific impacts in specific areas. So we will kind of blend those into a portfolio, um, a diversified portfolio to have that um, uh, more uh, impactful part of the portfolio, but with that, the the, uh, risk that goes with that as well. So it's almost like in a traditional portfolio, having a small cap um, you know, part of your portfolio, you know it's going to be more volatile, but you hope it's going to have bigger impacts from a return perspective. So I guess going out on the spectrum with those uh, impact style funds, um, you're getting some of that uh, alternative beta, if I could use the jargon. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point that you raise the risks and the, and, and the analogy of the small caps. You're absolutely right. Um, as a quality, uh, you know, as an investor that looks for quality stocks, there'd be, be less around because they just haven't had that chance other chance for the time or the length of time for those, say, small caps to become big caps um, in the space. And by definition as well, if something is going out um, on the spectrum to have an impact, um, th- there's a, there's a um, it's, it's not like it's, it's a, um, uh, say, a mining company or, or a bank who has been doing the same thing over and over again, just making money, you know, relatively easy. They're, they're really taking some some idiosyncratic risk out there with um, the fact that they will have an impact, change that social condition and generate a profit from it at the same time. 
Yeah, it's um, and it, but there's a, there's certainly the uh, the the profit um, impact, I guess the profit uh, the profitability of these companies, which is very important for constructing portfolios, um, and then there's the social aspect of that, where you know society might be better off for, um, uh, and I think uh, do you think clients can sort of take hold of that tangible outcome and, and be able to then relate that back to uh, to an interesting part of a conversation where they might relate that to a friend at a barbecue about how their portfolio is is doing these good things in in the community, uh, not just, um, you know, producing returns for them? Yeah, I think um, it's certainly um, uh, a fringe benefit, if I can put it that way, to have, have the conversation. Again, I think a lot of our clients, at least initially, um, don't really um, – Fully appreciate that they're having an impact, um, but but once once they they start to get used to it, and we get some feedback from the fund managers about how it's having an impact, uh, and a couple of funds out there produce some very interesting stuff about where it's having an impact and why it's having an impact, and once we kind of get people into that conversation, yeah, that they, they, they they want more of it, uh, they want to know more, and they want they 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 take ownership. I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, the power of story storytelling in this space. Uh, that's a really good lesson for fund manager or anybody constructing portfolios so to, to tell the good stories out the back of, of the investment portfolio so people can, uh, you know, share in that story and, as you said, take ownership. Yeah. I should also relax you as well. Within our, within our business, it's um, a bit of a social impact story as well. So, uh, as I said before, Anne runs the business um, and until um, probably about 12 months ago, um, we were a very undiverse business. We had um, 11 women and, and one male which was me so uh you know from from a social impact um having having this um uh, female dominated business um gave us a slightly different perspective and um you know certainly kind of fed into our narrative of um you know what what social change looked like at that um gender parity level yeah exactly right uh, and and, uh, and and we're seeing that increasingly with firms uh, now and, and more and more women coming into the profession and 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 it's been it's been a fantastic uh, thing for the profession to see that and um, but you're absolutely right getting that uh, diversity across genders there's all sorts of issues in the social um, spectrum that really get sort of don't get a lot of airplay and, and I, I guess the more we can talk about it the more airplay it gets the the, the more it becomes part of the norm yeah absolutely. David, thanks so much for catching up in this episode. We'll jump into the next one with you very shortly uh, when we start talking about the environmental climate change. I look forward to it. Welcome back, Claudia and Michelle. Okay, here Hi, we are. Fraser. Thank you for being part of this episode. We're talking about uh, social change and, the, and impact investing. Uh, sort of from what I see is sort of a, a more of a newer approach to ethical investing. A lot of it, uh, ethical investing started off around climate and those sorts of things. But tell us about what you're seeing in the space for, for uh, social change. I think it's um, it's amazing um, that we're, we're actually not just focusing on climate, but it's a more whole, holistic. We're looking at the community um, so we're talking from um, healthcare, healthcare in terms of technology to to property assets, um, and then we're also looking at home home care for uh, health. So these sort of facilities are 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 um, I think that that's one part of the development that I I'm seeing. Um, we're definitely talking about um, how can we. Uh, relieve the burden on the aging demographic, and that's tackling um, social. Uh, we're talking about um, how can we 
make, um, you know, uh, address um, disability. We're talking about um, so all the little pieces that fit into those issues. Uh, we're seeing that come onto the investment side, where we, we as um, you know, we as brothers and sisters can can lend a hand and and put our money to good use. So, and and it addresses all areas of um, from 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 environment to governance to um, to social. And sometimes it, the it, it's like the investment community community are replacing some of the role of the government or the responsibility of the government, and then the cost to society or the cost overall is reduced because. You're, you're providing better health outcomes, better social outcomes for elderly people or for disadvantaged children. And there's a, there's a very long-term benefit, which is not always immediately obvious, but sometimes it's, yeah, we can assist the government with their responsibility. And sometimes it just has to come straight from us, isn't it? I mean, um, we talk about shareholder uh, advocacy and that, that in many ways is doing the job of... Um, the government, you know, we're, we're the one who, who's pushing for c- companies and, and product developers. Uh, when I say product developers, I'm talking about fund managers to actually push on and, and do, do what you know you can. Um, and, you know, it's, it's part of that uh, directing capital to drive change, to drive environmental change or social change and, and make things better. And, you know, we're, we're in an amazing position where, where we can, facilitate that via our clients' money and the demand and the and the push that they have wanting their money to support things that they value. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Like we as a you know, the advice community knows better than anybody that if you wait for the government to make our rule changes, <laughs> it doesn't always end up by uh, you know, the, the best way or it just ends up a way uh, decision has to be made, but certainly to be able to drive that social change from the, you know, in the investor point of view and uh, makes a lot of sense. You mentioned that it sort of doesn't have an immediate impact, but it kind of feels to me like it does have an immediate impact, you know, in lo- local communities and social communities. Um, to me, it almost feels like more so than when you're looking at an environmental product over a long period of time. Um this this area, this impact or social change around communities has a more of an instant impact in your local community. I think it does take time, though, Fraser. I guess from from because it's almost you need it's a collaborative effort. You need the demand to keep pushing, and sometimes that demand needs to keep pushing for a little while longer before the supply comes onto the market, and then the investors get to support that effort. So it's almost. You have you have this 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 uh, this this dynamic, um, but once it happens, and I think it's it's like it's like fashion. Once you see more and more people wearing purple, <laughs> it just catches on, you know. And 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 I find that from where I sit, um, when I find one fund manager uh, launching a certain product and it's done well, and that's when you start to see an influx of a similar theme. Um, sorry, Claudia, you lost me at fashion. I'm, I, um, I, I, I'm not sure what you're talking about there. Um, but you're absolutely right about the, su- the su- supply and demand. We all understand that part, right? It's uh, and, and you're right. So where where are we now? I guess with consumers um, at that uh, su- supply and demand stage, are we still looking for more consumers to be involved in these before the the or, or are the funds now starting to produce really good impact and social change opportunities? 
Well, I think I think that the demand is there from in, t- in terms of capital. Like there's there's capital out there that wants to support good things, and then so it's a matter of finding the good things that are financially logical and work from an investment point of view. So it's sort of a bit of a juggling act to make sure that we can we can find an investment that is suitable, sensible, and appropriate for the right clients. And these investment managers in that space that are, that are doing that, are they they working with the businesses individually to make sure that, um, you know, they fit within the sort of parameters around um, the impact and social change or, or are the businesses going to those funds to sort of, you know, to then invest in them to say, hey, we already do this thing, can you invest in us? We're, we're quite privileged. We are actually um, sometimes get invited to uh, participate in the development part of it. So before this is all put together. So um, the embryonic stage is uh, really fascinating because it allows us to then convey what we're hearing from our clients and let them let them find options and, and solutions to put them into a product. So, so a little bit of both, Fraser. Yep. Uh, I think one of the things uh, I've heard in uh, around Europe is that a lot of superannuation style uh, of funds now are really pushing into this space and saying, um, you know, that we don't want to have any money in things that are obviously environmentally worse off or socially worse off. Um, how do you see that drive sort of from Europe then translating to what might be happening in Australia? I think it's very influential. Um, it's 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 definitely it it definitely does. Um, Get a lot of support here, uh, be it Europe or, or or America or even in Asia. I mean, if we hear of any uh, devastating um, news or 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 uh, initiatives, we tend to, we tend to to it tends to just sit in our head, and when and then it gels when we find an opportunity that we can we can um, link it to. I think Europe Europe because of the age of the society and that sort of thing and the size. They might they might have a bit more capacity and sort of sort of the his, historic background to support those things. Whereas Australia is a very young country, and I think we've got to develop that history. And we're we're a small country, so sometimes the volume and the capacity is not as yeah. available as it is in the, uh, those larger countries. But we're getting there, I think. Yeah, fantastic. We're definitely on the journey. Uh, Michelle and Claudia, thank you so much for talking to us in this episode. We look forward to catching you in the next one. Okay, Fraser. See ya. Joining us again to round out this conversation on impact and social change is Grover Berthe. Berthe. Berthe, I've got your name wrong. It's all right. As my wife likes to say, it's it's like birthday without the D. Berthe. Birthday, there you go. My apologies. Uh, speaking of uh, impact and social change, uh, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing uh, in that space um, from where you're sitting. Sure. Well, well, certainly first and foremost, um, when, when it comes to ESG, it is important to be balanced. And and we've spoken, you know, a good bit about about topics related to climate and the environment, and, and I'm sure we'll continue to do so. But but there certainly are other uh, areas that are important to to, to the firm, uh, to Pimco, and to the marketplace with regards to, to the potential social impact we can have. And we look at a few a few main topics when it comes to social in particular, not, not this is not exhaustive, but we focus quite a bit on human capital management, um, on, on staffing, on, on worker treatment, worker rights, and sort of the impact on the broader community from, from a given business or asset or, or government. 
we, we focus on on health and safety and, and wellness, uh, particularly in areas such as, as nutrition or food or pharmaceuticals and, and a variety of other similar topics. Um, you know, tangible goods. Uh, are those products sourced in a reasonable manner? Are they distributed in a reasonable manner? Are they healthy um, and constructive for the consumer? And to the extent that, that claims have been made otherwise, are, are they viable and how are they being reconciled? Um, and we think about, you know, really sort of access. So areas like specialty finance, sort of financial products, um, mortgage lending, is there access for, for the consumer or groups receiving access at, at comparable or competitive levels where they, where they may not have previously? And that doesn't mean, you know, these, these efforts should grow the pie. It doesn't mean that you have to take an opportunity, right, or a financial tool away from one part of the market and to give it to someone else. But, but are there, is there equitable, um, is there, is there equitable processes in place for, for distribution uh, and are certain business models looking to bring groups into their, into their model um, that have had less opportunities in the past? Uh, and, and, then, and then there's ultimately ways to, to measure all this. You can look at it at the specific line item level um, and, and encourage more disclosures. Uh, it's a theme that we, we talk about across ENS, more disclosures from, from counterparties and issuers with regards to their efforts and, and doing so um, ideally on a regular basis. Uh, with some degree of, of of also projections or foresight in terms of what the future impact will be as well. Yeah, amazing. Now, tell us a little bit more about that um, that measurement and disclosure because I think it's it's a pretty important part when you're measuring uh, that. How do you go about you know measuring the those sorts of things? Because I imagine it'd be quite uh, difficult and sometimes intangible. Sure, and and you know there there's so many opportunities in the marketplace, right? To, to some extent, this is why increasing market standards are so important. Um, for for investors, but we and, th- and this is one reason why we really much we very much like ESG labeled bonds. Uh, you know, green bonds receive a lot of attention, but uh, this year there's actually been more growth in in other types of ESG labeled bonds than green bonds. And what I mean by that, social bonds, sustainability bonds, and, and then sustainability linked bonds. And and with all these different structures out there, you can sometimes get get a little tongue tied, but what what these structures generally do is is not only are they are they valuable in their own right in terms of the issuers telling you where the proceeds is going to go and giving you information on that, um, but generally speaking, they they're supportive of more disclosure and information in the marketplace. Um, not only do you receive uh, a framework ideally upfront when a bond is issued, and, and we at Pimco review those frameworks in real time and, and ensure that they're coherent, ensure they're comprehensive and, and transparent. Um, but then the issuers are, are, are then going to update um, you on their progress and they're going to provide information about um, proceeds that were not allocated up front or about uh, ultimately some of the outcomes of, of that capital allocation over time. And so as more, hopefully, as issue, more issuers continue to adopt these structures, then it will provide um, the track record of progress and, and efforts in, in this regard. And then when it comes to sustainability link bonds, we, we, we actually quite like that structure um, when done well, when done in a manner that's ambitious, um, ideally with with some real materiality to, to the business of the respective issuer, whatever that business may be, because it, it then leads the issuer to, to put a specific target in place, a milestone in place, make a commitment to reaching that milestone. So from a social, a social standpoint, it could be lending to a, a certain number of businesses. It could be a certain dollars to a certain community. It can be producing a certain number of jobs, producing a certain number of affordable housing units. There are various KPIs that, that an issuer can use. Um, but if those those targets are not met, then there's a there's a penalty associated with it with regards to, to the, the interest expense, to, to the coupon 
And so there's a degree of accountability uh, with regards to hitting those efforts. And so these, the, these structures are, are great, not only because uh, of the fact that it continues to grow the ESG market in general, but, but because they do encourage more disclosure, more information from, from these issuers that investors can utilize. Yeah, fantastic. The, the you know exactly right. Just targets, looking at targets, uh, having them publicly you know available, disclosed, and then also whether they're hitting them or not. And that's something that I guess the accountability piece that comes in from from where you're sitting and in the fund manager space. Um, talk to us a little bit about the you know the different sectors uh, within you know human capital. You mentioned as was one of the first ones, rights, health, safety, those sorts of things. How, how are you sort of? Are they all categories? Are you are you like how are you finding these and um, and, and, and monitoring them and looking at them in different ways? Well, a big part of that is through direct conversations with, with the, the issuers or, or lenders or investors. Um, that's why engagement is such a key piece of all of these efforts. Um, it, there is more information being provided proactively um, by, by companies and, and market participants, not only with regards to some of the points I made about ESG securities or labeled bonds, but in, in, for example, sustainability reports, increasingly in, in more mainstream uh, documents, just annual reports or investor reports, investor materials, there's increasing focus on, on these areas. Um, and for and for those where this has been largely voluntary thus far, um, with various regulations coming through different geographies, different regions globally, uh, much of this will now be increasingly required from a regulation perspective. And so where, where there hasn't been perhaps as much participation either in certain sectors or, or in certain regions um, as certain regulators move ahead of these trends and, and, and want to encourage more sustainability efforts in, in markets at large, then, then we certainly expect to see there being more um, information expectations and reporting expectations placed place on issuers. So what, what does become difficult in this space is, is trying to do all of this research on your own from a desktop. We, we believe at PIMCO we can differentiate ourselves in terms of how we how we weight these efforts, um, where there is quantitative information being put in place, testing that, making sure that it's 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 honest and transparent and and science based. For example, in, in the climate space, um, using that to model a portfolio's overall risk and portfolio's overall carbon exposure, for example, or measuring the impact from a social standpoint, aggregating that information. There's a lot of analysis that can be done. But the analysis in terms of just the inputs and, and sort of the sources of information uh, very much encourage the marketplace to continue to provide that and to, and to hopefully do so in a, in a more unified and universal manner. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I imagine is very difficult is that supply chain conversation because it's probably a lot easier to, to look at stuff that's more localized and you know be able to walk into a business and, and see how it's operating and seeing how it's treating its staff. But tell us about how you go through that supply chain piece and then look look deeper into where the you know the down the track how things are uh, or, or sort of before products made it to that factory or whatever it might be uh, how do you, how do you do that yeah well, we do we do that first and foremost areas like this where where it does require you know scale to, to really get the information um, we, we we certainly rely on and use various collaborative engagement groups in the marketplace uh, so for example right we're, we're participants in, in groups such as climate action 100. We're participants in a variety of efforts um, that have to do with with food, nutrition, supply chain, such as, uh, such as the Access to Nutrition Initiative, and, and they're you know really targeting a, a certain specified number of issuers that that are significant in their space, right? That can that can um, serve as role models and leaders, and using those initiatives to to really get to scale um, and and to and to create hopefully standards that can then be adopted by by many others. 
Um, in an ideal world, and we do do this where possible, but it's 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 been certainly difficult over the last eighteen months. Um, you know, you're you're able to do your own diligence on the road as well. Um, and it's it's hard to do it all, but but there's there's really nothing that substitutes right doing your own core primary research and diligence. And you have to do a little bit of that as well, um, and that comes with meeting with companies, but also uh, doing some of these, you know, doing some of these more labor intense um, research efforts. And, and that's an area that we've done in the past. And with the economies reopening, look forward to hopefully doing some more of that um, over the next the next couple of years as well. Yep. Now, when advisors are talking to their clients and they're they're looking for tangible conversations, I mean, things like access to nutrition initiative is 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 great. Um, uh, how, what sort of conversations can advisors have with their clients around? what benefit this is doing in society like i mean i think when we get to the environmental thing we might talk about car taking these mini cars off the roads it's sort of a tangible thing that consumers can or clients can hang their hat on uh, what can they do in this space when it comes to impact and social uh, governance social be- benefits for communities how, how can they explain that to clients yeah well you know it, it obviously differs by by sector and, and, and in the social space, right, this is an area where there hasn't been as much, you know, in the climate space, there's been a lot of coalition around, around okay, absolute carbon emissions, carbon intensity. Um, but that's because, you know, we're, we're striving for sort of one, one broad target, which is, you know, a, a lower carbon world. In social, the market hasn't adopted one standalone topic where it says, hey, we're all going to work around and unify this specific topic from a social perspective. So, so it, 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 it will vary depending on the asset manager and the strategy. Um, but things that we do look at very regularly, very frequently, uh, and I noted health and safety earlier, you know, sort of accident incidents reports, right? You're talking about labor intense areas. Okay. There's, if there's construction or there's manufacturing, anything that's very labor heavy, uh, having this, this, this also applies in certain areas of the energy space. Let us know how your workers fare on the sites, on on the rigs, um, in the, in the, in the facilities. This was particularly relevant during COVID where, where in these areas, you know, there are, there are tremendous disruptions to businesses based on outbreaks. So, so give us accident reports, give us information about what happens in the field. Um, when it comes to, to banks, financial institutions, give us disclosures about, um, the breakdown of your, of your, those who borrow from you. You know, is it going to small and medium sized businesses? Is it going, going to, to, to minority communities? Are you going to female entrepreneurs? Um, there, give us specific information about your, your own, you know, your own client base, um, trying to make commitments with regards to, to growing those, that representation of those groups in your overall lending book. Um, give us some information on what it's been in the past and what you could do in the future. And, and, and also to the extent that you can encourage um, specific outcomes with regards to, to, you know, any KPIs that are sector specific, then you can engage on those in a, in a very direct manner. If you're dealing with the housing space, okay, give, let us know, uh, is there going to be a certain amount of affordable units within a multifamily building or um, if you're building single family homes, right? Um, give us some information about the impact you're having on, on the respective communities. There's, there's certainly topics with regards to providing jobs. Um, jobs is another one. Are you, if you're going into an emerging market, are you hiring the local populations or are you bringing staff from other areas, right? Are you producing um, sort of economic benefits for, for the locals, um, for, for the population that's immediately impacted by your presence? And so you, so it is an area where you can certainly have, have that impact and you can measure it, but you do need to be somewhat intentional about the question you're asking, depending on the sector. Uh, Grover, thank you so much for chatting to us about that. It, uh, it, it's great to, to hear, uh, you know, the influence that you're having on um, on those businesses and those uh, those funds that you're uh, those those larger companies and, and companies that you're lending to. So, 
appreciate it. We look forward to catching you in the next episode when we start talking about climate change. Look forward to the next session. Mm-hmm.